0: We've taken this whole month of January to be studying consecration, and uh, I think it's been good. It's been good, even though I'm teaching it, hearing it. It reminds me. The Bible says that we have to remind ourselves, amen, and sometimes we forget. It's so easy to forget, and so in studying tonight, we're going to go over some, some things, and then we're going to do a little bit of review, but we're going to be doing part four tonight. Again... It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen. I was um, in a text conversation with someone uh, this weekend. They said they, they messed up and God can't forgive them. And I said, no, the problem is you can't forgive you. That's really a lot of times our problem is that we can't forgive ourselves, you know. And when we can't do that, then we don't have the faith to come to him boldly as the scripture says. So tonight we're going to look at that because God is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for obedient people, people who want to serve him, people who want to love him. Amen. In the Old Testament, though, God set the standard really high to show what it would take. If you were going to come to him based upon your own work. and so in the Old Testament only perfectly uh, prized specimens could could apply for the job as priest. only the perfect in in physical stature and physical outward appearance could fulfill that role deuteronomy twenty three one It says, he that is wounded in the stones or hath a privy member cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord, even if it wasn't something that people could see. Imagine that. You still could not serve. A bastard, if 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 through no fault of your own, you had been uh, born out of wedlock, In the Old Testament, it says, You could not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to the tenth generation. Shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord? An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to their tenth generation. Shall they not enter the congregation of the Lord forever? That sounds so harsh and so forbidding. And what God was trying to do was trying to show that if you think... You're good enough and perfect enough to come and serve me of your own right. I'm going to show you just some standards here which almost no one could meet. In fact, no one could meet. No one could meet. Only the very perfect in physical appearance and physical um, stature could approach. The same thing with the animals. They had to be unblemished you couldn't offer a sacrifice that was damaged. You couldn't offer a sheep that you know had a, a lame leg or something. That would not be accepted. God was trying to show something in consecration. He was trying to show that if you are going to come before me of your own self, then this is the kind of standard that you would have to meet. Only the perfect could draw near in the Old Testament. I'm so, so glad that on the night... When Jesus was arrested, or he was going to be arrested, and he gave the Passover service, you know what he started off uh, with the communion? He said he took the bread, and what did he do? He broke it, and he said, this is my body that was offered, that is offered for you. You know what he was showing? He was showing his body that was going to be broken, that was going to be accepted, As a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, that could not have been accepted. Only the perfect people could draw near. But because of Christ's sacrifice, because he was sinless, he was showing a new covenant, a new way of doing things. Amen. Last uh, time we talked about um, the offerings, and we're going to touch on some of those because we didn't completely finish that. In the Old Testament, the consecration always involved, as I said, a sacrifice. In in Exodus it says, this is what you are to do to consecrate them, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect. So that would let most of us here out of a job, because I don't have any of those livestock. We would have to bring a young bull and two rams without defect. Not just find any old animal, it had to be a perfect specimen. And from the finest wheat flour make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with the bull and two rams. This was the kind of thing for consecration that you had to do. It represented a sacrifice. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring any animals here today? Amen. I'm so glad you don't have to bring any animals here today. All we have to do is bring ourselves as a living sacrifice. But it's got to be holy and acceptable to God. That means we come by faith, right? If we come just believing God has to do stuff, and we don't care about our attitude, then our offering, our consecration, will not be accepted. But if we come not in in self-pride, but relying upon His sacrifice. Amen? Then our offering, if we mix it with faith, will be accepted. That's what the Scripture says. Amen? So let's study these requirements because everything in the Old Testament was symbolic of a fulfillment in the New Testament. Let's look at the requirements. One young bull and two rams without blemish. That was the ceremony for consecration. The animals were intended... For sacrifice, your most precious um, uh, animal, the most perfect animal that would, would cost a lot of, of effort and, and breeding and, and I guess could be sold for quite a bit, that was what you had to bring. In fact, that's what sacrifice means. It's got to cost us something. We remember the story of, of David uh, when he was on the threshing floor and the angel of the Lord had been wreaking havoc on jerusalem had been slaying thousands and it was on that spot that god had mercy and so david said you know what i want to purchase i want i want to 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 have this land i want to purchase this land for an altar and the person owned it said no 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 i'm going to give it to you and david said no he can't have it like that because it would have cost him nothing you understand our sacrifice of ourselves is so valuable to god so the requirements for the consecration offering was a young bull and two rams without blemish. And the ceremony for consecration required the animals intended for sacrifice. Consecration couldn't happen without the shedding of blood. There was some blood that had to be shed and we'll, we'll teach in another lesson sometime this year why that was. Then the next part of the consecration was this unleavened bread, unleavened cakes. The ceremony required bread. Now, when you bring bread, usually what does that mean when you have bread? It's a meal. So there was two parts to the consecration. There was the blood sacrifice, but there was a fellowship offering. There was a meal offering. We shared bread. What did Jesus do on that night? He broke the bread and he shared it it was a ceremony for consecration and it required bread representing a meal together. You know, you usually don't eat with your enemies. You eat, most of the time, if you choose to eat, you choose to eat with friends and family. So it represents a fellowship. It's a fellowship offering. So the ceremony for consecration required bread for fellowship with God. So there was two parts To this consecration offering. The blood and the bread. Isn't that something? Now the other part of it was the washing. We find that in the Old Testament. That baptism. It wasn't called baptism. Was practiced all the way back. Straight from the giving of the law. In Hebrew they call it a a mikvah. But it's a ritual cleansing. And we find out in fact. That at the feast. That Jesus turned the wine. The wine. The water into wine, those big containers, the six containers, they were used. The reason why they were so big is because they, they were intended for cleansing. They were intended for a mikvah, for cleansing, for washing. And Jesus turned that, those containers full of that water into wine. So the process of consecration in the Old Testament started with a washing. I'm going to go through this real slow that you, you get the picture here. In Exodus 29, for the this process started from the outside in the washing. And Aaron and his son shall bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. Before they could start to officiate, they had to come to the door of the tabernacle before they went in and they had a washing or really Today, we'd call it a baptism. It was an immersion process. So this process of consecration didn't take place inside the tabernacle. It happened on the way in. Amen. That's why we start our our Christian journey either with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the washing of water. But we have to start with the baptism because Jesus told Nicodemus that, right? That you cannot enter. You see this? It wasn't... They could not enter until they had gone through this process. And God deliberately made it public. They had to humble themselves and do this in front of the whole congregation. It was at the gate. Now, if they'd gone inside the tabernacle and washed, nobody could have seen them except other priests because there was a fence. There was the the wall around the tabernacle. But this they had to do publicly. It was a sign of humility. That's why we witness baptism now if there's no one there that that you know except the person baptizing that's fine but in the old testament it was something others could see they had to take off all their beautiful robes and just go down as they were into the water to be washed and it was a washing of repentance even to this day orthodox jews in their synagogues people are surprised but they have a baptismal pool They don't call it that. It's for what they call a mikvah. And I put a picture up there um, in a cave in Jerusalem where Orthodox Jews go to be baptized, to be cleansed. And Aaron and his sons, thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of congregation and shall wash them with water. Now I want you to really focus on that verse, the letters I have in red, and notice something. Anyone, what pops out to you? Let me read it again. And Aaron and his, and his son, sh- thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. Anyone catch anything, see anything in that? Okay. Door, yes, that, I pointed that out, that it was at the entrance, it was public. But who is doing the washing? Is it Aaron and his sons washing themselves? Who was this to? It was to Moses. God's represent. You understand what God is saying? Aaron and his sons can't wash themselves. <laughs> Similar to today, we cannot wash ourselves. Let me read it again. And, thou sh- and Aaron and his sons shall, shall thou, speaking to Moses, bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall wash them with water. He's speaking to Moses. Moses had to officiate in this washing, in this baptism. Do you see that? That Aaron and his sons could not wash themselves. We cannot wash ourselves. Jesus washes us in his blood. And it's a symbol also of a new beginning. Ephesians 3.25, it says, Sorry, 525. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The word now washes us. We can't wash ourselves. And who is the word according to John 1.1? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Let me read this again. Let me put the two scriptures together. That he might sanctify, separate, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Just as in the Old Testament, Aaron and his sons, even though they were Levites, even though Aaron was Moses' brother, he couldn't wash himself. That was not valid. Moses, as God's representative or intercessor, go-between, mediator, was commanded that he should do the washing. Today, Jesus washes us. Isn't that awesome? And in, it's it's reflected in the church because the church is the bride of Christ. And it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church, his bride, and gave himself for it that he might sanctify. The reason why he gave himself so that his death, just as in the Old Testament, the death of the animal was part of the consecration ceremony. That he might Sanctify, that means set apart and cleanse it with the washing of water today by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it might be holy and without blemish. So everything in the Old Testament that God set up, those ceremonies, were there as symbols to be revealed to us in the New Testament. Amen. So we see that even today, there is a washing. There is a, a, a mikvah that Orthodox Jews uh, carry out. Leviticus 17:16 says, But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Again, showing the connection between this washing and the cleansing and remittance of sins. That's why people who teach that baptism is just an outward symbol, it has no real meaning are so wrong because on the day of pentecost they said repent and be baptized in the name of jesus christ right for the remission the baptism is for the sins that we commit in the flesh that's why we fleshly go down in the water and so baptism actually has a real salvation purpose it's not just an outward symbol people say it doesn't matter uh, it's just a symbol well they're wrong If it was just a symbol, the children of Israel would have died in Egypt. Because the Bible tells us, I think in Corinthians, that they were all baptized unto Moses in the sea and in the cloud. The only way to get from Egypt was through the Red Sea. And it was a baptism because they had to go down into the river and there was water on each side and the cloud, which is water vapor, above them. So, if it was symbolic alone, they'd be stuck in Egypt. Again, God repeated that symbol in crossing over to the Jordan. So Leviticus 17, 16 makes it clear that baptism is essential, a washing. And not just baptism, but repentance of our hearts and faith in Christ. It says, but if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. That means that, means that person's sins are not remitted. So you see, Moses was told he had to wash Aaron and his sons. They had to be humble. Aaron was actually the older brother. He could have been stick necked and said, You can't do that. I mean, I'm the older brother. You need to. But he had to be obedient to the process. You have to be obedient to the process. So God told Moses, You have to wash Aaron and his sons before. They can go in. They had to do this publicly. They had to do this publicly to show that they were now being sanctified. The process was happening. Aaron and his sons did not wash themselves. They received a washing. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We have to receive God's washing either through the word or actually by the word and by the water. And as I've said, it was a humbling experience because it took place publicly at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. We cannot be cleansed from our sins without humility. Isn't it scripture in 2 uh, Chronicles 7 says, If my people that are called by my name, when you baptize, shall humble themselves, right? And seek my face. So the great cleansing was a one-time thing. And from then on, they just needed to cleanse their hands and feet, which is what Jesus showed just before he was arrested on that same day, the Bible said he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and started to wash his disciples' feet. And he made it plain to Peter, he that is baptized, the word in the in the Greek is baptizo, need you don't need to be baptized again, save you do have to wash your feet, revealed to be the washing of the word. So Moses had to do it. He had he was God's intercessor. He was God's mediator. As the scripture tells us in the New Testament that the law was mediated in the hands of angels through Moses, the human mediator. So like these ancient priests today, we too have to be washed by the work and the word of God. Uh, Ephesians 5.26, we're going to look at that by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in Titus 3.5. This cleansing work was started by Jesus' death. Because without that, there could be no sacrifice for sin. We'd be stuck under the law. We'd have had to bring our bulls and all of that. And in Hebrews, it tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never permanently take away sin. Isn't that something? So today, every time you hear the word, every time, it's cleaning you up. It's, it's actually doing something. And people stay away from church or stay away from listening. They don't understand that that word is what washes us today. Amen. Let me read the scripture. I quoted it, but I didn't read it. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife as I said, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. I love when someone preaches to me and I start to feel it and they start to tell me stuff and I know there's stuff I gotta fix. Amen. That means I'm being washed. Something is cleaning up my spirit. Amen. Titus 3 5 says, Not by works of righteousness. This was the point God was trying to show. Not by works of my own righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. This is part of consecration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? That God, through His love and His grace, can provide the washing and the renewing. And in that, bring us to be a regenerated person. And then after that, then they could put on the clothing. Clothed, but not in our own righteousness. Amen? Exodus 29, 5 then says, And thou shalt take the garments, and put upon Aaron the coat, and the robe robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastplate amen so after they had washed then they could put on the coat that represented his role now as the high priest and as priest and thou shalt put the miter upon his head that was the the official sign of of a priest and put the holy crown upon the miter then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head symbolizing the holy spirit amen and anoint him, and thou shalt gird them with girdles. Remember in the New Testament, what does, what does Paul reference in Ephesians 6? We should gird ourselves with what? Truth. Truth, remember? We put on the whole armor of God. We're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness now. In the Old Testament, it was the breastplate of judgment. But through God already taking that judgment for us, He clothes us now with righteousness. Then shalt thou take the anointing oil, representing the Holy Spirit, and pour it upon his head and anoint him. And thou shalt gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them. Paul references that as taking what? The helmet of salvation. salvation. We need a lot of stuff protecting our head. Because today the attack is for our minds and for our thoughts. Even in the Old Testament, all of the priestly garment was, symb- was symbolic of what God was trying to teach them, and today fulfilled through the Spirit. Right? We gird ourselves with truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, Amen. We put on the helmet of salvation, having our shoes, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and then we take the shield of faith, and then we take the sword of the Spirit, Amen. And put the bonnets on them, and the priest's office shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. You understand that God has not just... In the Old Testament, Aaron and his sons and the Levites were priests. But that was their only role. They couldn't be kings. And the kings could not be priests. But you understand in the New Testament, through grace, God gives us a dual role now. We have been called to be both priests and kings, and thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. I don't think that we truly grasp. Once we get to heaven, once our eyes are open, we're going to be in so much joy. We think we understand, but we don't really. We're going to be so happy that we chose him now. When we realize what heaven is about, When we realize that we've made it... You know, even that thought alone makes me start to get happy. And yet that Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. It's only been revealed through the Spirit. We can only glimpse it through faith. But the part of the consecration, as I've just outlined, started with the washing and and being humble and then putting on the garments. And today we put on garments of praise. Praise. Amen. I like being around happy people. I need, I need to be around happy people. Amen. Thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. Philippians three nine says this, And be found in him. That's how we put on Christ. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. That means of works, of me proving that I, you know, kept the Ten Commandments last week. But even so, Jesus proved you can't really Say you kept it if it 's only outward, what about our thoughts? What about our thoughts? Which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith i 'm going to ask you that question I ask every now. And then. Do you believe God loves you? Wow, <laughs> come on now, you have to believe. That God loves you. And if God loves you, he has declared you righteous. You need to say that I am am the righteousness of God. Can we say that? I am the righteousness of God. Because if he has separated us and he has washed us, then we are his child. And then we have become the righteousness of God. And that's what was given, declared upon Abraham because he believed and thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. And Philippians 3, nine says that we become the righteousness which is of God, but it's through faith. It's through faith. You can't see my perfection, but I hope that I bear fruit. I hope you start to see some fruit that, that, that gives you the idea that we're going on to perfection. Amen. So last week we talked about the, some of the offerings, but... The real sin offering that was done on a yearly basis, the atonement offering, was the one that I said would ultimately fix the guilt problem, right? All of these offerings, the burnt offering, we we talked about how they would burn the flesh, but the priest was giving the skin as a covering. But still they had to do this every year. But once a year was that offering that represented the atonement, the atonement, Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the bull. And the Hebrew word here uh, that puts his hands on the head of the bull is more than just lightly putting... He was pressing down. He was making sure that symbolically all of the sin was going into that animal and was being represented by that animal. And in that, in that ceremony, it says here they would lean upon the victim, loading him with the burden... Christ tells us to cast our burdens on him. He's taken them at the cross. Why do we go pick them back up again? We're supposed to lean cast your cares upon me for I careth for you. So they were to put weight upon the animal as they were pronouncing the sins upon the animal, signifying their acceptance that the animal took it. We can lean upon Christ if we believe that he took our sins. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get happy here tonight. I'm thinking about that. Wow. Amen. When they put their hands on the bullock, they made a confession of sin. The high priest would confess all the sins on Israel. And in Mark 10, guess what the high priest did? He said, it's better that one man should die for the sin of the nation than our whole nation perish. The Bible then goes on to say something amazing It says this, he spoke not of himself, but the Holy Spirit made him do it. Right? He did symbolically fulfill the beginning of the atonement ceremony where the high priest declares the goat the sin offering. Now on this day, they would take as part of the consecration and forgiveness of sin, they would take the, the blood from the bull and from the goat. And this was the only time they took that into the golden altar. That was before the ark, right by the curtain that divided the ark from the holy place. Got a question for you. You realize in all the descriptions... Well, let me, let me preface it. Preface it. Preface it. I need some more sleep. <laughs> in the description of the tabernacle and the temple, how many places or how many altars were there? where animals were sacrificed. Or how many... Let me put it this way. How many things were called an altar? Make it simple. Two. Can you name them? The altar of incense? The brazen altar. The brazen altar. Very good. The brazen altar was the one that they put most of the sacrifices on. Altar of incense was only... Daubed with blood once a year on the Day of Atonement. Right? So in the earthly tabernacle and in the earthly temple, there were two altars. But in every description of heaven, guess what? There's only one. Do you know why? Because the brazen altar represented the place of judgment, of sin. God has done away with that. When That curtain split in two when He said it's finished... He took all of that judgment. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all. Now, I've explained this before that in the translation, they assumed it meant men because that's the context. It looked like I will draw all men to me. But in the Greek, there is no men. It's draw all. And they just assumed it meant he would draw all men. And he will draw all men. But really what it's saying is I will draw all the judgment isn't that something? When we lift him up and we look at him, just as in the Old Testament, when they looked at the object of their sin, they were healed and delivered. When they were obedient. I bet you there were some stubborn people that said, I'm not going to look at that old brazen thing that Moses meant." did. I bet there were some people who were stubborn and wouldn't, wouldn't do all they had to do to be delivered. Just like today. So we see that in heaven there is only one altar. It's the golden altar. It's the object of our atonement because the blood is sprinkled on that and it represents mercy and grace. It's also the place where the prayers, the incense arises, was where they would pour the the fragrant um, mix, ointment, perfume, and the fragrance would fill the temple and the tabernacle. So the horns of the altar... This is the only altar that is in heaven. And thou shalt take of the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger. And then you pour all the rest of the blood on the bottom of the altar. In other words, on the earth. And we'll have to go uh, very deeply into that in upcoming lessons, what that represents. But it was the place of consecration. The blood sanctified... The tabernacle, because it was innocent blood. We see that in Hebrews 9 where it speaks about Jesus who now entered with his own blood there to sanctify the heavenly tabernacle. And you should ask right away, why would the heavenly tabernacle need sanctification? Isn't that God's throne? Well, who else was up there making trouble? Who else was up there defiling the place? It's not till Revelation 12 where the rapture takes place, and we truly get sanctified permanently, when the voice says, "Now is come salvation <laughs> and the kingdoms of our God. Rejoice ye heavens, because that word says "now." has come salvation. Amen. That will be the permanent. See, all of these in the Old Testament, all of these symbolic things, was pointing towards the reality and the the real realization, I should say, of all these symbols in the person of Jesus Christ. He became our high priest. The high priest, when he would come out, he would declare God's name over the people. He would make that sign, the shin, which stands for the first letter of the word Shaddai. And he would declare God's power and authority over the people, God's name. It's the only day that they say that the priest would say God's name and not feel that he might be breaking a law. Even today, any Jewish book you read or Jewish material, they won't say God. They'll write G-D or they'll say Lord or they'll say something else. They won't say God because they Respect the commandment not to take his name in vain. But on the day of atonement, his name, Shem, was called over the people. When we go in atonement, his name is called over us. Right? In the name that the whole family of heaven and earth is named. That is truly the sanctification. Because he's coming back for the people of the name. Leviticus 17, 11. The reason for the blood sacrifice, of course, is given um, at a high level in, seven, in Leviticus seventeen eleven. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar. In other words, that word life, nefesh, is really what's saying the soul of the flesh is in the blood. That is so deep. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they made an outward covering. But they could find nothing to cover their soul. And that's the reason of the blood sacrifice, because the soul of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, the blood was given as a covering for the soul. In our case, it's His blood that covers us. And that's why in Hebrews it said, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We're talking about consecration and sanctification. This is what they would do to sanctify the people. They would take the blood and sprinkle. It is said... The Jews have a tradition that when the blood was sprinkled on the doors and on the curtains. It would turn white. It would turn the thing white. It would cleanse. And this was the miracle that would happen on the day of atonement. It is the blood that maketh an atonement. A covering for our souls. Amen. So there was a consecration offering that also went along with. There were some symbolic things. Strange things that they did. Let me read it. Then shalt thou kill the ram and take the blood and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron. This is part of the consecration sermon. They were to take a ram, kill it, and then take the blood and apply some of it to his right ear. What do you think that's telling us? What do we do with our ears? Or what we should be doing with our ears? Listening. It was a symbol that his ear was now going to be consecrated. What do we listen to? What do we hear? Is our gateway to our soul consecrated? They put the blood to consecrate the ear, symbolically. Upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, this also was put on his son's ears, so that their ears would be consecrated, that they should be not defiled by things that they were hearing upon the thumb of their right hand and upon the great toe of their right foot. There were three places where the blood to provide consecration was added. We'll go into this. And thou shalt take the blood that is upon the altar of the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron and upon the garments of his sons with him. And he shall be hallowed. That means he will be consecrated. You take the blood, you sprinkle it. As I said, the tradition... It's not expressly in the Bible, but it's in other Jewish writings, was that when this was done, it would turn white. It would actually clean. It would actually do that. And his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Consecration, then, means a change. You can't say you're consecrated and there was no change. Got to be a change. Let's look at this. The tip of the air. That means when we are consecrated, we should hear differently because the blood was on the ear. We should be listening to things differently. We should tune out some things that only cause us problems. Thumb of the right hand, what do you think that symbolically means? Now, who here is right-handed? So, if you're going to do something, what's the first hand? If you're going to pick up something like an apple, what do you, which hand do you use? If you're right-handed. So it symbolizes work. It symbolizes power. We talk about the right hand of God. It's a symbol for power. It's a symbol for work. So His work, our ability to do things, should also be consecrated. They should work differently because the blood was on their thumb. You try doing anything of use without your thumb. You can't even pick something up. Because it's your thumb that opposes... Like, if you try and and pick up a pen and write with just those four fingers, maybe it can be done. You can train yourself, but it's not easy. So it was done on the thumb because that's the crucial digit that allows us to do almost any kind of work. They should work differently because the blood was on their thumb. Now, here's a strange one. The big toe of the right foot... Why do you think it was put on their feet? That's right. We need to have our feet consecrated. We can't just go anywhere. They should walk differently because the blood was on their toes. This was the ceremony that was done to consecrate the priests. Aren't you glad you're not in the Old Testament? Having all this blood smeared all over you? But, you know, in the New Testament, we should have the blood smeared all over us. But it's His blood. And we get that by faith. Amen. That's how we obtain access to the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's something interesting about this blood thing because it starts out in the garden. Remember in the Old Testament, the animal's blood was used, now I've shown you, to consecrate. Now when Jesus was in the garden and starting to pray, something strange happened concerning his blood. He said he became exceedingly sorrowful such that it were that the drops of sweat became as blood. That was the first time In the ceremony that was starting, that blood came and fell upon the earth, just as in the Old Testament, where the blood was sprinkled from the animal on the earth. Then, the next thing, when he went before the high priest, they started to tear out his beard. You can bet there was some bleeding. They started to then beat him on the back. They slapped his face. Each, there were seven times, I, know, I have a lesson on it, there were seven times when the things that they were doing caused blood. They put the crown of thorns and pressed it into his head. Just as in the Old Testament the high priest would press upon the animal's head. Consecration means a change. That's why when we once come to Christ, we don't want to not understand the sacrifice that Jesus made in order that we can be saved. Consecration, the other part of it though, remember there was the blood part and then there was the meal part. After they went through these ceremonies with anointing with the blood... Thou shalt take the ram of consecration and seethe his flesh in a holy place. They were to cook part of the food, the, the, the sacrifice. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread. Jesus said, your fathers did eat that bread in the wilderness. That bread that came down from heaven. They should do this by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made. Jesus said to his disciples at the start of his ministry, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part. Of course, they couldn't understand that he meant it in a symbolic and yet in a real way. But a stranger shall not eat thereof because... They are holy. Paul in the New Testament says, we have an altar that they don't know nothing about. You are a special chosen generation, a peculiar people, because, because God has forgiven us of our sins, because we have been consecrated by his death. Then the Bible says, then we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with God. Satan lies to us and tells us all kinds of stuff. And we, we live below well below the relationship we should have. He's my Father. I can ask Him anytime for protection, for finances, for healing, for anything I have going on wrong because I should be in fellowship with Him. If I've been consecrated with His blood on my ear, if my thumb, anything I go to to do has been consecrated, if my feet have been anointed with His blood, then we go to the meal part of this ceremony and I have fellowship. Amen. You're all quiet tonight. Don't you think that's awesome? Amen. I have fellowship. But a stranger shall not eat thereof because everything's now been consecrated. Eating the sacrifice was part of this consecration. And thou shalt take the ram and you shall cook it in the holy place. Luke twenty-two nineteen. Now this is starting to be fulfilled. Jesus takes everything from the Old Testament and starts to do the fulfillment for us. And He took the bread... And gave thanks and break it. Now Judas. Judas took part in the feet washing. But. When Jesus went and sat back down. He said one of you is going to betray me. And they all said. Is it I? And he said. It is to whom I dip the bread and give. In the, in the gravy and give it. And he left. Then. The true communion ceremony started. He did not have a part in that. You know why? Because we have no fellowship with the works of darkness. Do you see that? Jesus didn't mind washing his feet, but he could not have fellowship. He could not eat bread with the master. He took the bread and left. Because the Bible says, we should not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness because we become consecrated. We can't let the world defile us. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Remember I said that at the Feast of Cana, the six giant vases, which held 30 gallons each, were there for washing. And he turned them into what? Which represents what? The blood. Do you understand? Everyone at that feast, symbolically, He provided a a communion. Just as way back in the Old Testament when Abraham came back from the battle with the kings, he had communion with this person called Melchizedek. Melech in Hebrew means king. Zedek means righteousness. um, He was the king of righteousness. Without father and mother, without descent. In other words, this was God. God. This is my body which is given for you. Abraham had fellowship. David in Psalms 23 says what? He prepares a table before me. In the presence of my enemies. He anointeth my head with all... He's speaking of consecration. He's speaking of a consecration ceremony. Because this was part of the consecration ceremony prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. They, have, they can't eat of that table. Paul said they can't. We have a table that only we can eat of because we have fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness and because of that, what does the scripture say? We have fellowship with God. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. This was all part of the symbols that God revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament. Once this was happened, though, now they couldn't just walk back into the crowd. They just couldn't walk back out and be like normal. And we should not walk as if we're normal either. Let me read it in Numbers 6.1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. And and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves, a vow vow of the Nazarite, and I talked about this, but I didn't go into detail, to separate himself unto the Lord. That's what we tried to do this month. To do some things that were abnormal, that took us out of the normal, that took us into the realm of unusual. Hopefully into the realm of supernatural. Verse 3, he shall separate himself. If you wanted to vow this vow that you belong to God, you had to separate yourself. Look at how many times in this chapter it says, all the days of his separation in verse 4. Verse 5, all the days of his separate vow of his separation. Verse 6, all the days that he separated himself unto the Lord. We want God's blessing. We want God to answer us anytime we pray. But we're not separated enough to have that fellowship. We're not sitting down at the table. Verse 8, all the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. God is calling us to take a spiritual Nazarite vow, so to speak, to be separated unto him. Then when we pray, our prayers will be answered because we will have fellowship. Satan can't have fellowship, light can't have fellowship with darkness, can it? No, it can't. Jesus said, if you walk in the light, as I am in the light, then you have what? Right. Then we will have fellowship. That's what this month has been about, to have fellowship, because then we can sit down at that table. That's when you talk, right, is when you sit down at the table. Like a fast food, you don't talk, you grab and go. But when you go to eat with somebody, you don't just stare at them and just eat in silence. That'd be kind of rude, wouldn't it? That would be dysfunctional. God wants to sit down. Thou preparest a table before me, even in the presence of mine. And I want to sit down at that table and I want to have some conversation with my Creator. I want to tell Him how much I love Him. I want to tell Him how much He has blessed me. I want to thank Him for His grace. I want to thank Him for His mercy. So consecration and sanctification is part of the separation. Separation. It makes us special and it makes us strong. I'm not going to finish this tonight. The proof of it is as long as Samson kept his vow, he had supernatural strength, didn't he? I'm sure Samson didn't look like some muscle man because they couldn't see the secret of his strength. You see, if he looked muscly and big, they wouldn't have been asking what's the secret of his strength. So that's your clue that he didn't look like uh, Mr. Hercules. Because the secret of his strength was his separation. To understand what I'm saying, the secret of our strength will be how much we are separated. Because when we went down in that tank, we came up completely clean. And we can stay clean if we let the word wash us. And if we let the word wash us, then we have strength. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it says here, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when either a man or a woman, and this was unusual, because in the Old Testament, usually it just said men, but in this case, specifically said this vow of being a Nazarite, could be for men or women. Vow, a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord. It was this separation, as I said, and I'm not going to go into all of this tonight, that made samson have his strength as i said it wasn't it wasn't muscles because if they could see like if you see a you know a big old you know biceps bulging six foot you know you don't you don't say are you strong (laughs) you're not surprised if you see that guy bench press 300 pounds well okay but they had no idea what the secret of samson's strength because he didn't look it they had no idea that it was just the simple separation, consecration before God. That's what gives us strength. That's why some of us don't have as much strength as we ought, because to the degree that we are separated unto, the, unto God, the more we can dine at His table, the more we have fellowship. And this started because he was chosen from birth. And there was a certain man of Zora of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore Beware. I pray thee and drink not wine nor strong drink and eat not any unclean thing for lo thou shalt conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come on his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from his womb. It was because he was that way from he was born. He had supernatural spiritual strength. So the Philistines could never defeat him. The spirit would just come on him. And this who knows how tall he was or how he looked, but I think he looked ordinary. But when the Spirit came upon him, nobody could touch him. Nobody could touch him. He could take up a bone and, and kill a thousand men. That must have been some sight. In fact, I can't even really imagine it. I can't wrap my... We read it, but with God, what does the Scripture say? One shall put what? A thousand. And two... 10,000. You see, there's a multiplication when we're separated onto God. That's where truly the power of the Spirit can really flow. Because when we're contaminated, you lose power. If you get contaminated gasoline, guess what happens to your car? It sputters. And you have to kind of drain it all out and put in clean gas. This is the power of sanctification. And when he came into Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. They thought they got him. We got a thousand men. There's only one of him. This is going to be a cakewalk. There's only one of him. Yeah, maybe he get ten of us. (laughs) Maybe even if he gets twenty of us. We we brought a thousand men. We got him this time. And he has no weapons. We got swords and shields and spears. He's got no weapons. We've got him! The Philistines shouted against him, and what happened? The spirit of the Lord came because his vessel was pure. Came mightily upon him, and the ropes and everything that he had been bound with, plus he was tied up because he had let them his people tie, them, tie him up so that the Philistines would feel confident. It was very one-sided battle in favor of Samson. <laughs> Because God can fight with all his hands tied behind his back. All he has to say is a word. Let there be. And it was so. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it. And slew a thousand men. This is what power will come when we're truly separated unto God. And you know what happened to him. Finally he gave out the secret of his sanctification, that he had kept the vow of a Nazarite from a child, from a baby, from his birth. And of course, you know what happened when when he was defiled, when he broke the vow, broke his separation, he lost his power. How canst thou say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. and That's what the devil will do. He will press you and press you and press you because he wants to find the secret of your strength. He wants your faith to fail. He wants you to give up and to get contaminated. And he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head. I have not ever drunk wine. I have never broken my vow of being a Nazarite. For I've been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb, chosen from his mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go. He knew. He knew the secret of his strength. But sometimes Satan can press you out of measure that you just want to be done with it. (laughs) I shall become weak and be like any other man. And you know how that went you could stand with me we're not gonna finish this maybe I'll finish the rest of it another time but I hope you have been blessed by our studies this month I hope that really inspires you to continue to find some kind of sanctification separates inspires me and I'm teaching it I want to have the spiritual strength of Samson that when the devil comes, he may think I'm unarmed. I might look ordinary. I might even look old and beat up. (laughs) But spiritually, I can be just like Samson. I can be just like Samson if we are separate because that's where our strength comes from. Hallelujah. Amen. So I encourage you. Let's stay separated so that God can have fellowship with us, that he can prepare a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies, and anoint us with oil. And then, of course, that psalm finishes, surely, no doubt about it, he says, surely, not even a question mark, not even a guess, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell In the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Lord, I pray even as I speak to others, Lord, that I will take this word. That I will eat it, Lord God. Lord Jesus, let these words wash every one of us, Lord, that we will be spiritually separated unto you, that we can have strength in the day of trouble. Lord, I pray let your Holy Spirit surround us the rest of this week. Go before us, Lord, I pray. Give us a plain path. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you, Lord God. We humble ourselves before you and we give you all of the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen.